Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Thanks so much, uh, David. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you here uh, this evening. Uh, We're just going to take a little time for a break. Um, A couple of questions up on the board. Uh, What's it called? Screen thing. Uh, for you to think through. Uh, you might want to just uh, get up and get some refreshments or have a little bit of a chat with the person next to you about these questions, and then in a moment we'll get started again. Three or four minutes, okay? Off you go. Okay, um, now you can, you can continue those conversations later, and you can also see if you can work out why my maths is so bad. <laughs> some people really focused on the fact that it's going to be with nine people at the end rather than ten. So that, that just was a whole curveball in there that I did not mean to throw in. And by the way, if you just said it depends, that's not good enough. This is supposed to be like a you know, conversation style. Anyway, now why are we asking these questions? We're asking these questions because tonight our theme is Christ and difference. Christ and difference. Can I have the next slide, please, uh, Ian? We, we, as part of our, our series on Christ and questions, we're looking at particular issues that are challenging for us, that cause us doubt or uncertainty or challenges in our faith. And one of the really big challenges that we have is how can I be confident in my faith when I can see it's just one of millions and millions of different options? How can I be confident in my faith when I can see it's just one of millions and millions of different options that open up in front of us? And that's particularly true for us as Christians in in today's culture. So if we could wind the clock back a thousand years, we'd all have teeth that were a lot worse. But on the plus side, from a religious point of view, we'd only have two options, basically. We could either be keen Christians or not very keen Christians. That was essentially the... You could sort of turn the dial up or turn the dial down. But that was kind of... That was the gamut. That was the range. Now, we live in a very different world where we have knowledge of and availability of a huge number of different options. We're in a global village. We understand our existence in a kind of pick-and-mix way, don't we? We take a bit of that, bit of that, bit of that... So not only have we got all the kind of religious options of the world, we've got like infinite different combinations of them that we might make up together. We're in a multicultural, diverse city, and isn't it glorious to be so? But that also means right in our faces, we've got people living very, very different lives that are asking us the question, should we go that way or should we go that way? We could discard our faith. We could move to another faith. We could become a pagan. We could become a Hindu, a Buddhist. We could follow more idiosyncratic paths, usually promoted by celebrities. There are so many options. Now, wonderfully, we have great freedom, and we don't want to throw that away. We want to be grateful for that. We actually can choose. No one's going to 
throw a 10-ton weight on us if we decide to step slightly out of line of the culture from which we've come. But of course, all that freedom, all those options give us a real challenge. It creates uncertainty, and that can be deeply unsettling. Perhaps you have decided to follow Christ. Perhaps it happened a long time ago. You're a Christian, but you wonder, what if I'm wrong? What if I've gone down this road and actually perhaps it's not the right one to go down? How can I have any confidence that it might be the right way to go down? On the flip side, you might have equal doubts and uncertainties around the question, what if I'm right? Let's say I have decided to follow Christ. What if I'm right? I mean, how do I actually play that out in, in, in a world in which most people don't agree with me? Their lives are just different to mine. And that's tricky because my friends don't say their way is the only way, but I follow a savior who says, no one comes to the Father but by me. And that feels kind of a bit offensive, really. And I don't want to be the kind of person who suggests I've got it more fixed than other people, but I sort of worry that if I say I'm a Christian, that somehow that's how I'll be understood. What if it's impossible to know whether it's right or wrong in the end? How do I decide how to live then if I can't even know? There are so many questions, aren't they, that the difference that is in our our culture presents to us. And as far as dealing with our differences, we're in a kind of funny place at this particular moment in our culture. On one level, I think we're a lot better at dealing with differences than we have been in the past. So we live in such a diverse world, and uh, we, we realize the great value of bringing cultures together. Uh, we, 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 we value mutual understanding. We, we understand that we need to live together, so we, we ask one another, what do you do? What do you do? What's your life like? Um, and we're better at being with people who are different and not feeling threatened. But then on the other hand, we have social media going on, where actually we have this ability to zero in on a quick thought, 140 characters, Um, which loses all the nuance and all the care and all the relational side of things. And rapidly, we're lobbing bombs at each other uh, over different differences. And in many senses, we're worse at dealing with difference than we have been before. How should we approach difference? Now, quick sidebar. Uh, I was going to do a whole sermon on Christ and difference, and then I realized that all of us have homes to go to and jobs tomorrow. Okay? So listen, this is actually, when you start thinking about it, it's really, really complicated. There's at least four things. There are differences to be decided. There's stuff that you've got to to work out. Is it this way or is it that? You know, big questions about how we're saved. Who is Christ? How do we live if it's clear in the Bible? We've got to work out which, is it this way or is it that? There are other differences to be accommodated. Okay, in the New Testament, it talks about a particular question about whether some people would eat meat and some people would eat only vegetables. And the Apostle Paul said, you know, it's fine if you just want to eat the vegetables, if you've got hang-ups about the meat being in the temple. That's fine. Some differences need to be accommodated. Other differences need to be bridged. If we're Christians, we're supposed to be making our way out into the world. We're supposed to be all things to all people, so that even if we're different, they can somehow understand our language. You have to learn how to speak the language of the world if you want to be able to share the message of the gospel to the world. And there are differences to be embraced. Different genders, different races, personalities, and so many other things that we embrace. Now, listen, I'm not going to go into all of this today. That's going to be on the 
you know, live stream and all the rest of it. You can have a look at it. There's some references there. I'm happy to have some questions about that at another time. But today, I'm just talking about the first one. What about the big differences where you have to decide one way or the other? How can I be confident in my faith? I've decided to follow Jesus when it's just one of so many options. What if I feel isolated, weird, or different because of my faith? Is that even the kind of question, the kind of challenge that God puts me to? What's my hope for this evening? My hope in this brief time is that we will see how God asks his people to decide for him and against the alternatives. We have got some decisions to make, difficult ones, in that great sea of difference. But that we can make this decision to follow Christ with confidence and clarity. And to do this, we're going to read, uh, first of all, an account of an engagement where the people of God were in a world of great difference. Mixed opinions, uh, the powers that be in their culture at the time had very different values from, the, um, from, from theirs as, as those who followed uh, the God of Israel. And uh, the powers that be also had powerful support in the culture. Uh, but there were still a number, a small number of faithful followers of God um, who were trying to go his way. Background here is that we're, we're in 1 Kings 18. Ahab, the king of Israel, uh, has uh, decided to follow Baal, uh, the Canaanite fertility god. He set up an altar for him in Samaria. And God has sent a drought on the nation of Israel and has told uh, Ahab about this through his servant, Elijah, the prophet. And we're now going to hear from 1 Kings 18, verses 16 onwards, where Obadiah, the friend of Elijah, is going to go to Ahab to call him over. Thank you, Amanda. Okay, so we're in 1 Kings 18, and we're starting at verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, 
Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a, dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two sayers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Amanda. Verse 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. God's desire is that we would turn our hearts towards him with singular devotion and faithfulness. But getting there is not easy when we live in a world with so many different options. So I want to walk with you through this ancient story that many of us will know really, really well and try to pick out some of the realities that I think connect with our own to see how the Lord might want us to get to that point. 
and I'm going to do it through the lens of some little chapter headings. Okay, chapter one is called Awkward Friends. Awkward Friends. Okay, now, the way it starts off, just before this section, um, Obadiah is walking along, and Elijah the prophet uh, meets him. Obadiah recognizes him, bows down to the ground, and says, look, is that really you, Elijah? And uh, Elijah says, yeah, absolutely. Go and tell your master, Ahab, that Elijah is here. Now, Obadiah is friends with uh, Elijah. He knows who he is, but he doesn't like this very much. He says, what have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? Surely as the Lord your God lives, there's not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Obadiah was a servant of Ahab. Uh, He had been faithful to the Lord. Uh, He'd harbored a hundred prophets when Jezebel was uh, persecuting them. But he was profoundly implicated in King Ahab's life. And he was going to get it in the neck if Elijah didn't show up. So he wanted to make sure, Elijah, you're actually going to be there if I'm going to go and tell Ahab. It's worth remembering that one of the challenges as we think about differences is that we all have awkward friends. Sometimes we would like to believe quietly and not tell anyone else what we believe. Not that it doesn't have an impact on our lives, but just not connect with anyone else. Because we're not really in control of what other people are going to do. One of the difficulties is that if we're Christians, we're connected with a whole load of other Christians. And sometimes we may worry they're going to give us a bad name. And they're going to do things that we wouldn't do, and that's going to make it tricky. And that's what happens to Obadiah. Chapter 1, Awkward Friends. I wonder whether you have struggled with that dynamic. Chapter 2, Troublemaker. We move on to verse, uh, uh, verse 16. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? One of the challenges that we find as we're trying to navigate the differences in our world is people label us as Christians troublemakers. Now, it turns out God was judging the nation uh, of Israel, uh, not sending rain. But Ahab had decided that was Elijah's fault. And so he says, you're the troublemaker. Uh, Troubler means taboo, cast out. Um, You know, and I guess that's a bit how we might feel as Christians in some situations. We feel people look at us like, you know, you're the problem around here. And that's not a great deal of fun. If you feel like you're just passing on the message that God has already revealed, and you get treated as if it was kind of your decision, that can feel quite alienating. And in this particular instance, Elijah was uh, in trouble because he had passed on a message of judgment. Um, And that message in our culture is also really countercultural. People don't like hearing that. And so we, in the same way, might find ourselves in a situation where we feel like people are looking at us saying, oh, you... Do you believe all that stuff in the Bible, including the difficult stuff? You troublemaker. It's tricky, isn't it? 3,500 years away, Elijah looks like a hero. If he lived down the end of your road, you'd kind of wish he went to the other church, not yours, probably, if you know what I mean. Now, we haven't been called to be prophets in the same way as Elijah, but 
we are all called to pass on God's message. We're going to choose different ways of doing that. But ultimately, we are going to get something of this dynamic at some stage when we speak up. Perhaps people will say to you, oh, you know, the thing I struggle with you Christians, even if you personally have scarcely said anything, is you Christians, you're so judgmental. Now, let's just be clear. There are some inappropriately judgmental Christians out there. And Jesus told us, remember, don't specialize in taking the speck out of your brother's eye if you've got a great big plank in your own. We can easily be self-righteous. And, and Jesus condemns that. But even if we're not that at all, sometimes we will come across as judgmental. And people will say, oh, you're so superior. Even if we think and have said nothing of the sort, it can be hard And that can make us want to shrink inside and perhaps doubt our Christian faith. We don't want to be a troublemaker. That's chapter two, the troublemaker. Chapter three, minority misery. Minority misery. Next one, please. Okay, so um, Elijah decides to um, take everyone on. Uh, That, in fact, means 950 prophets versus Elijah. Now, I doubt anyone here is in a kind of workplace where there are 950 people who are definitely not on the same kind of um, spiritual place as them, but perhaps you've been in something like that situation. Perhaps in your family, you're the only Christian. Um, Perhaps in your workplace, you're the only Christian. And you feel there are so many other people heading in a different direction. Perhaps when you read the news, you just don't recognize any Christian voice there, and you you feel quite isolated by that. Perhaps when you look at public policy, you think, man, where where do I fit into this? Um, I don't know whether you have this experience, if you go through your social media, and you're flicking through it, and it's all fine, and then suddenly something comes up, and it's just inappropriate, and they're trying to to push some inappropriate content on you, and you're like, oh, even here, you know, I'm not even free here to just be me. I get this stuff, you know, ch- chucked down my throat. It's, it's really hard, isn't it, when you feel like you're in the minority. And I mention this because I think it's a strange encouragement. If you ever feel like you're in the minority, like the only person following Christ, the only person who's tr- following God, whether or not that's actually the case in the area that you are, you're not the first person to feel that way. In fact, um, that was how Elijah felt. And that feeling of doubt and uncertainty, that sense of I must be doing something wrong because I'm the only one, that has been the experience of Christians over the generations. And in a funny way, if you feel that way, there may be an opportunity for you to think, okay, this is normal. This is not unusual. I'm out on a limb, but it's okay. This has often been like this for the people of God. So that's chapter three, minority. Chapter four, don't dither, decide. Chapter four, don't dither, decide. Okay, so uh, we get to the crunch point, verse 21. Elijah goes before the people who are all assembled, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah lays out two clear options. In his case, look, you either go with the commands of the Baals and you worship at their altar, uh, or you obey the commands of of the God of Israel and worship at his. Now, we don't have the same choice, but we are faced with similar choices in our lives. Um, uh, Perhaps uh, for you, it's 
that choice between uh, following Christ or actually giving up on your, on your faith. Uh, perhaps for you, it's the choice of really valuing your obedience to Christ above everything else or following some other goal that's going to take you away from that. There are, for all of us, there are going to be different choices that we have to make. But we need to lay clear the options and ask our same, ourselves the same question. Are we going to follow the Lord or are we going to follow something else? And just as Elijah presses for a decision, the Lord presses us for a decision regularly, often. Which way are you going to go? And it's hard, isn't it, when there are many options? But actually a decision needs to be made. Perhaps you're confronting some real doubts and questions at the moment. Are you able in your head to spell out what the options are? What are actually the questions here? And then work out, which way am I going to go? And hear the Lord press you to decide for him. Don't do the decide. Chapter 5, Fence Sitting. You'd have thought after this rousing moment, okay, which way are you going to go? Uh, it's going to be really clear, right? And then this is surely one of the great kind of uh, human insights of this passage. Elijah gets up. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people say, yeah, that's absolutely right. Let's decide. And actually, no. He says, people said nothing. People said nothing. Fence sitting is not a new behavior. The Israelites would love to not decide. What they'd really like is they'd like to kind of have Baal a bit, but also have the God of Israel a bit. And I guess they're thinking, if I don't say yet, can I sort of have both options? It's a bit like if you're choosing a car. Before you've decided, you've kind of got that car and the other car. But then when you decide, you've only got one or the other. This is where the people of Israel are at this moment. And this is what we're all like, isn't it? We don't like to choose. And that can be really challenging. Perhaps you're in a situation where you, f- you feel the choice, whether it's a particular area of your life or just faith in general. And you're in that the people said nothing moment. They're like, I know I know I need to choose, but I'm just not doing it right now. Well, perhaps I can challenge you today. Perhaps now is the time to actually grasp that question and go for it. Or perhaps you feel you've made a difficult decision to commit your life to Christ and follow the consequences. And then you see other people who seem to be able to sort of not make the decision and they can kind of hold it all together and you feel a bit resentful. That can be hard, can't it? You feel like they've kind of got the best of both worlds. It's a common human experience and real courage is needed. Chapter five, fence sitting. Chapter six, getting towards the end. Look for the evidence. Look for the evidence. So uh, we get to the end. How are they going to work it out? How are they going to decide between the two? Elijah's like, well, I, you know, a rousing speech isn't going to do it. I'm going to need to pull out something better. So he sets up this challenge. You know, they've got to call down fire on uh, this sacrifice. Um, and he, he gathers uh, all the people after the um, other prophets have had a go running around. And uh, nothing's really happened. He gathers everyone together. And uh, he sets up the stones and um, uh, the sacrifice on the altar. And then he digs this trench around it. Um, and uh, he, he cuts the bull into pieces. And then he gets water to pour on top of the, the bull to completely douse it. So, you know, absolutely no case of it kind of spontaneous combustion or anything like that. 
And he gets him to do that again and again. And then finally, um, he, he gets on his knees and prays. So at this point, Elijah is saying, look, we're going to give you some evidence. I don't just want you to decide just because I said something convincing. I want you to go and look and find reasons to believe. Now, I don't know what you make of this story from back from 1 Kings 18. It was enough to persuade a lot of people at that particular moment. We have our own evidence. We have the evidence of the resurrection to go back to. You know, if you're wondering, can I believe? The answer is not, do I feel it? The answer is, is it true? Did it happen? Did Christ come back from the dead? Can I trust that he's actually powerful enough to raise me from the dead, to give me new spiritual life? And when we're struggling with that, it may be useful for us to rehearse the evidence. What should have happened in Elijah's days? Nothing. There was, you know, three loads of water on this thing. Nothing should have come out of the sky. In the same way with Jesus, what should have happened? Jesus should have died and stayed dead. What made that even more definite? Well, in this particular instance, the extra water, the fact that he was just on his own, the fact that, you know, there was, no, there was nothing there that could have kind of sent this thing up. In Jesus' case, there were the witnesses of his death. There, were, there was the spear in his side. There was the tomb that he had to stay in. No one could kind of look after the body after he was, um, after he was killed and somehow, you know, tend him back to life if there was any, any remnant of life in his body. And then, of course, the stone was rolled over and rolled out. No practically dead person could roll that stone away. That's what made it even more de- definite. And then what showed that it actually happened? What showed? Well, in this case, there was this fire. The whole thing burnt up, not just the sacrifice, but the wood and the stones and all the rest of it. In Jesus' case, he rose again. The women witnessed it. There were multiple appearances. The disciples were transformed, and the early church exploded. And those are the reasons for our confidence as Christians. We look for the evidence. And so I really want to encourage you, perhaps if you're struggling with doubts, when you ask the question, am I a Christian? Try not to ask the question, am I a Christian because I'm not really sure how sure I am. Your faith doesn't rely on your own sort of abstract confidence. It actually relies on something that did or didn't happen. So keep going back to the resurrection. Can I believe this? Do I have reason to be sure? And then just briefly as I close, after chapter 6, look for the evidence. Chapter 7, repeat. Now, we didn't read this, but if you flick on to chapter 19, what happens is uh, uh, the, all, the, all the prophets um, uh, of Baal are slaughtered. And it's an awful moment uh, for Jezebel, Ahab's wife. She's furious. Um, she's introduced this Baal worship. And she says, I'm definitely going to have this Elijah guy. And Elijah is, is absolutely terrified. He, he does a run for it. He comes to a broom tree. I'd love to know what one of those looked like. Uh, and he sits down underneath it, and he prays that he might die. And he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then lies down under a tree. So Elijah had this mountaintop experience, literally. The most powerful show of God's power imaginable. And within a few days, he's just curled up underneath this tree saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's a reminder that these experiences, this need to get back to faith and rediscover trust, 
repeats again and again and again. Perhaps you remember a time in your life where you were really convinced as a Christian. You're like, I know, I believe, I know where I'm going, I've got real confidence. And now you find yourself, that's kind of completely worn off. And it's almost like you're back to square one. If that's where you are, you're not the first person to have that experience. Elijah himself, the great hero uh, of the Old Testament, found himself back at zero with his faith, back needing the reassurance of the Lord. Chapter 7, repeat, and there's a strange comfort in that. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up, um, and uh, in a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. One of the ways that we can reassure ourselves of God's love for us is through those very physical things that remind us that in the same way that he sat with his friends around the table, and uh, they shared the bread and the wine, so we can today, and understand that he is ours by faith. But just before we do that, I'd like to come back to those verses that John shared with us earlier. They're from uh, the book of John, uh, and it's chapter 6, verse 66. And I mentioned them on the first of our Christ and Questions series. From that time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We're just going to take a little bit of time now uh, in the quiet. And perhaps you might want to bring all that's going on in your mind and in your faith right now to the Lord. And perhaps on some level, these verses resonate with you. You've got doubts. You've got questions. Big ones. Deep ones. Perhaps you could let those words resonate in your mind as you struggle with them, though. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Perhaps today the Lord is speaking to you, and he's saying, yeah, you've got these questions, you've got these struggles, but honestly, there's nowhere better to go than me. If that is you, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. You come come for some prayer ministry afterwards, if that would be helpful. Just a reminder, we've got uh, our questions. We're going to do a Q&A next week. If you've got questions you'd like to submit to that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, There are posters up, and you can see it on the website to submit your questions. But let's just take a bit of quiet now as uh, we consider that verse. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.